0: Welcome to the AI Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Jaden Schaefer. Today on the podcast, we have the pleasure of being joined by Praveen Kohli, who is a staff machine learning engineer at DoorDash, specializes in developing deep learning models for improved ad recommendations and enhanced user experience. Formerly, he was a technical lead at Pinterest, contributing to cutting-edge models for personalized ad recommendations. He holds a PhD in mathematics from Carnegie Mellon University, a master's in mathematics of finance from Columbia University, and a Bachelor's in Electrical Engineering from I.T. Kharapur. Welcome to the show today. Super excited to have you on. Uh, Thank you for the introduction, Jaden.
1: It's a pleasure to be here with you today.
0: Like I mentioned, uh, super excited. You know, I saw you at the AI4 conference earlier this summer in Las Vegas. Um, You've been working on some really incredible stuff. So I've been wanting to get you on ever since. Um, What I would love to kind of kick this off with is if you could briefly give us a little bit about your your background and your journey. What brought you to to doing what you're doing today? Was this something you were always interested in or was this something uh, that developed? Give us a little bit about your journey. Uh,
1: So I came to the States in 2011 uh, to pursue my master's in financial mathematics. Uh, I studied a lot of uh, probability uh, stochastic processes. back then and then I really liked what I was uh, studying and then I decided to pursue a PhD in the same area, uh, probability theory. Uh, and then when I was pursuing my PhD, I, I really liked the field of uh, statistics and machine learning. And in-
0: This episode is brought to you by Shopify.
1: some sense probability is the foundational pillar on which statistics and machine learning rests. Um, so I was excited about uh, all the technological advancements that were, that were happening uh, in the technological world. Uh, and I decided to transition into the uh, tech space uh, uh, during my PhD. Super cool.
0: Um, So, you know, you're working on some really incredible stuff right now, something I'd love to ask you a little bit about is, you know, how do you approach developing deep learning models for ad recommendations, for example?
1: So uh, let's take a let me take a step back. Um, There are different modules within the ads funnel, there is the ads targeting, there is the ads retrieval, there is the ads ranking, there is the ads auction, uh, there is marketplace auction, so on and so forth uh so in the ads targeting advertisers basically create campaigns uh and they tell the publisher uh it could be google facebook pinterest snap uh, any company pretty much mm-hmm. who they want to target hey i want to target users in la new york uh, age between 20 to 35 or 50 to 65 um, people who speak in a particular language, or people who are uh, logging in from from an Apple or an Android device. So you have all these filters based on which you can target uh, users. So in within the so there are machine learning problems in each of these modules, right? There are some machine learning uh, problems that you're trying to solve in the context of ads targeting. There are some machine learning problems that you're trying to solve in the context of retrieval and uh, ranking. So in the context of targeting, it's common to do what is known as keyword targeting or set-based targeting. For example, if you're an advertiser, you say, hey, these are the users that I have. I am gonna give you their email IDs. Uh, Find me similar users. So target these users, also find users similar to these users. So you build a model for doing audience expansion. So this is in the context of targeting. Similarly, you could do keyword expansion, for example, if you're targeting, let's say, uh, a keyword like Pepsi, maybe you would also want to target uh, the keyword Coke. So things mm. like that, right? So uh, there are machine learning problems, as I said, and these are the, uh, common machine learning problems that are dealt with in the context of targeting, uh, and then in the context of retrieval. Now, if you have a big repository, let's say you have 500 million ads in your repository, every time the user comes to your platform, you wanna show relevant ads to the user. So what it essentially means is for every user ad pair, you wanna predict the likelihood that the user is gonna engage with this ad. Now, if you have 500 million ads in your repository for every user computing the likelihood of engagement with with each of these 500 million ads is not feasible, right? Mm. So you have mechanisms to trim down uh, the number of candidates that you want to score, right? So targeting is one of the filters that you apply to trim down the candidates. Say I'm gonna I'm gonna only look at, uh, as I said, right? Advertisers provide some specs, targeting specs: location, age, gender, language, device, so on and so forth. With that, you can trim down a certain number of candidates, and then in the retrieval stage you do further trimming using lightweight ranking there are other techniques such as embedding based retrieval that people normally use uh, to trim down candidates and then you have uh, the trimmed candidates that that are sent to the ads ranking uh, layer wherein you have a fairly heavyweight machine learning model to predict the likelihood that the user is going to engage with this subset of ads and then you do auction and then you figure out what the best candidates are and then you show these ads to the users now to answer your question how do i go about building a deep learning model even before you know i go about whether to build a deep learning or not i want to understand the context i want to understand the system requirements say hey, how many requests am i going to get uh, per second what is what are the latency requirements uh do i have the infrastructure uh, to serve a complex model online right you for example if you're a fa- if you're facebook you're getting you you have uh, the qps is very high right they have mm-hmm. billion daily active users so the qps is going to be very high so you want to have a system that is not going to melt down when the traffic increases so you look at all the requirements you look at infra cost because building a complex model also costs a lot of dollars uh, you look at all these things and then Finally, assuming you have all the other things have checked out, then you look at the data and then you look at the amount of data that you have. Does it make sense to build a deep learning model like what is the kind of data that you have? if you have a lot of uh categorical features, lot of uh textual data, then deep learning blends really well uh, uh with such kind of data so yeah, I think you have to look at all of these things in totality before deciding uh whether to build a deep learning model or not so you just so given a particular problem you just don't jump in and say hey i'm going to build a deep learning model okay yeah. yeah no that that makes a
0: lot of sense I'm um, so fascinating the, the different challenges and concepts you have to, to
1: think about when you're building these things i'm wondering you know what are some of the common
0: frameworks that are used to build machine learning models uh in, in kind of the space these days
1: So PyTorch and TensorFlow uh, are the most popular frameworks that uh, people are using these days to build deep learning models. Yeah, I think uh, TensorFlow TensorFlow was more popular uh, until some time ago, but I think PyTorch has surpassed TensorFlow uh, in my opinion. A lot of companies are moving towards PyTorch
0: okay
1: yeah that, that's interesting i do see that
0: uh i do see that a lot it's going to be interesting to see how you know the landscape continues to evolve in that regard um you know in regard to kind of everything you're you're working on how do you make how do you like essentially ensure data quality when you're building machine learning models uh for user experience
1: uh, so the uh this is a complex question uh, There, there, yeah. uh, there are a lot of things again uh, one needs to look at uh, when you're building to ensure to ensure that uh, the data quality is maintained right um so one you know you have etl pipelines that are basically generating features uh, for your downstream uh, machine learning or deep learning models so you have to set up all kinds of alerts oh if the etl job failed then you want to set up an alert or for a particular feature if the feature distribution has changed significantly so you can do that by monitoring the 50th percentile 90th percentile 99th percentile or mean standard deviation so on and so forth you have to monitor uh, the change in distribution if the distribution has changed significantly over time you want to set up alerts you want to set up alerts at the level of hey what are the number of null values that you're seeing for this particular feature uh, so these are some things that you need to do to make sure that you're maintaining data quality uh, yeah i think that's that's i think the bare minimum thing that one should uh, do to make sure uh, you know data quality is maintained yeah,
0: yeah, no, I think that's uh, that's fairly important. So, something I'd love to ask you about, you know, what are some of the common pitfalls in data strategy that can lead to ineffective machine learning models? Maybe these are uh, mistakes that people are currently making today. They don't they don't know they're doing. Tell us a little bit about uh, some of the common pitfalls. Uh,
1: so logging, uh, how you're logging the data to build your models. Uh, I think that is extremely important, uh, especially it is important to log features when you're serving um, to minimize what is known as the training serving discrepancy, right? So for example, if you log, uh, if you log uh, a training instance, training example, and then let's say you do not log all the features and then you are relying on offline pipelines to do backfilling, so on and so forth, uh, for generating features, depending on how depending on how careful you are, if you're not very careful, it's possible that uh, you know the model that you're building, uh, there is bias that is introduced because of this. Uh, and then it could have potential implications uh, on the performance of uh, the model when you're actually serving it online. That's that's one thing. Mm-hmm. In the context of ads, uh attribution is extremely important uh when i say what i mean by attribution is let's say you you go to facebook you look at an ad uh let's say you look at an ad from macy's uh you click on it but then you don't do anything but then a week later you go to macy's.com and then you make a purchase right so Mm -hmm. you so the conversion label that you actually made the purchase facebook is going to get it a week later but then they will append that label to the ad that you saw a week ago hmm. so this is called as attribution so uh, in the context of conversion ads uh, using attribution windows of 1 7 30 is fairly common uh, do you have uh, the right attribution windows uh, set up to build your models uh, that's one thing that is uh, important you know there could be other examples for example another concrete example that i can give you is let's say in the context of uh, Apple iOS 14 changes that were rolled out uh, you know, a few years ago, where Apple essentially said you cannot use, you need to get explicit uh, consent from the user to access the user's offsite uh, activity. Mm-hmm. Now, let's say you have a model trained prior to iOS 14 rollout. So this has, you now you're accessing both opt-in as well as opt-out users off-site activity now let's say post ios 14 rollout so let's say a significant chunk of the users have said hey don't track my activity uh, on third-party websites but you are still continuing to use the same model that has off-site features uh, baked into it now when you're serving these uh, model which has off-site features baked into it but now in the context of all the changes that were introduced now all these features are going to be null because you can't use them so you're going to use say it's oh i'm just going to use a null value or as a default value and then that would lead to a significant drop in uh, performance right so these are a few things that can that can go wrong
0: okay yeah that makes a lot of sense and it's so interesting because obviously the 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 technology landscape is changing and like you know the iOS update and, and others can come down the pipe and really kind of you know kind of uh can change or break stuff so you really have to be on top of uh, what's happening to understand how everything is impacting you um how do you decide on the right tech stack for data operations in a machine learning project typically
1: uh, so that's a good question it depends on the scale of the company um i think with big tech they, big, big tech has its own tech stack right um but if you're a small company a small companies also use a lot of uh, enterprise software or they could just use let's say gcp uh, mm-hmm. amazon aws uh, i think uh, instead of trying to build everything from scratch you could just use uh, amazon aws and then you could uh, get started fairly quickly uh in terms of you know if i were to talk about uh, the rough tech stack right so so there is offline development offline feature development offline model development and then there is uh there are near real time features so you need to have uh, a separate architecture for uh, serving near real time features you need to have a streaming architecture for that and then you need to have ability to serve uh machine learning models online right to real time traffic so uh for uh, for offline uh, etl development you have uh, airflow is fairly common developed by airbnb uh These days, a lot of companies are also using Databricks uh, for setting up their ETL pipelines. Uh, And then, you know, once the, where do you store the output of the ETL pipelines? A lot of companies store their uh, data in S3 buckets that is provided by Amazon. If you're, that is if you're in the, uh, if you're using the Amazon AWS. So, and then what frameworks are you using to build machine learning models? PyTorch, TensorFlow. Uh, and then how exactly are you doing model uh, deployment? Uh, you can use uh, uh, open source frameworks such as Pinnaker uh, for uh, doing model deployment. But if you're on let's say Amazon AWS or GCP, you come up with uh, services that are developed in-house either by Amazon or GCP and then you can you can get started fairly quickly.
0: Okay. Um, So in the industry right now, you know, there's a ton of academic research that's coming out uh, from a lot of, you know, the top tech companies on, you know, different technologies that could impact AI and and, and machine learning and kind of what's being built. Uh, Of course, there's like the famous Transformers paper that kind of like made a massive impact because that's what a lot of our uh, natural language processing is built on and whatnot. I'm wondering if you can discuss some of the challenges of translating academic research into real-world applications.
1: Yeah, so one of the uh, challenges uh, in the context of ads uh, recommendation or in in the context of uh, recommendation systems is you can build a model offline, which is fairly complex. But if you need to serve it online, you know, there are different set sort of challenges that you'll have to deal with, meaning for every request that comes in for every user that opens facebook.com or you know, pinterest.com or snap.com. The page needs to get rendered in about 500 milliseconds right so you need the whole page needs to load in about 500 milliseconds. Uh, so what that essentially means is there are strict latency requirements, you could have a really good model that has that that has very good offline performance. But when you try to serve it online, because it's so complex, you won't be able to serve it online, meaning you won't be able to meet the strict latency guidelines. So it could probably take you a second to do inference. That potentially leads to a very bad user experience, right? No user wants to wait for a second for the page to uh, load. So that is one challenge that I see. Uh, you could have really good models you could you could develop really good models that have great offline performance but uh sometimes it is very challenging to serve these models online uh for there are techniques uh that one can use uh in such scenarios you could do what is known as quantization um you could do what is known as knowledge distillation um you could also do gpu serving with gpu serving now you could serve really complex models uh, within the same latency uh, requirement within the same latency budget. So, yeah, I think TLDR is sometimes you can develop really good models, but you may not necessarily be able to serve them online.
0: Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, and uh, I'm sure. Yeah, it's just one of those challenges that that comes. Um, One thing I would love to ask you about is, you know, what skills do you think are essential for someone aspiring to specialize in machine learning um, for ad
1: recommendations? So uh, someone who's uh, aspiring to start in this area, I think, you know, having a a solid math background, uh, you know, someone Everyone should have a good background in basic calculus, probability, uh, basic statistics, linear algebra. And then these days, there is so much material over the web. There are a lot of good machine learning courses that are offered by a slew of universities, and all of these videos are available on YouTube as well. Uh, there are good courses offered by Stanford, good courses offered by CMU, MIT, likewise. Uh, so, having a good background in Know, basic machine learning fundamentals deep learning fundamentals uh i think is a prerequisite uh, in addition to that there are also good podcasts right uh, in in this in this space you, you run one uh, and then there are there are also a lot of uh good blogs engineering blogs that are written by that are maintained by companies themselves uh you know, I think it's it's great if one could uh, read these engineering blogs, Google's or Facebook's or Pinterest, Snap, uh, DoorDash. All of these companies have uh, very good engineering blogs. So one could uh, read these engineering blogs and then uh, stay current on what is going on in the industry.
0: Yeah, I love that. I think that's so important, and I really do think like just that conti- like that's great advice because I think that whole continuing education aspect. Um, or obviously you, you got to be educated to get into it. But even when you're in it, like you got to stay on top of this. You've talked so much about everything changing. And so, yeah, these are incredible resources to uh, make sure you're, you're, uh, you're really staying on top of everything. As we wrap up the interview today, this has been absolutely phenomenal. I'm wondering if you could uh, kind of wrap this up, if you could tell us how you measure the success of a machine learning model in a business context. What are those, you know, what are the success metrics that you're kind of measuring these on?
1: So in the context of ads, uh, there are different metrics that you look at, right? So there are, in the space of ads, there are three players. There is the publisher, which could be Snap or Pinterest or Facebook or Google. There is the consumer or the user. And then there is the advertiser. So you wanna make sure the advertiser is happy. You wanna make sure that the user is happy. And then you also wanna make sure that the platform is generating enough revenue for it to sustain. Right, so you can't look at one metric in isolation. It is important to look at all the metrics uh, that are user-facing, advertiser-facing, and impacting the platform itself. So, some metrics that are impact uh, that uh, that are important for the platform is revenue, uh, monthly active users, daily active users, so on and so forth. Uh, Uh, For advertisers, okay, what is the revenue over ad spend uh, ROI that we are delivering to the advertisers? That is important. Click-through rates, uh, conversion rates, um, the cost per acquisition or cost per conversion. These are uh, uh, important metrics. CAC, uh, these are uh, important metrics that advertisers care about. Uh, So yeah, so there is not one metric that you look at in isolation, so you look at all these metrics, uh, you know, user facing, advertiser facing, and impacting the platform itself. Uh, in the context, uh, for example, some user facing metrics could be, hey, how many times has this user saved, session time, uh, for example, if you're showing too many ads, or if you're showing bad content to a user, you know, the monthly active users are gonna go down, daily active users are gonna go down, the session length, session time is gonna go down, uh, Different engagement rates with either organic content or ad content is going to go down. Hide rate: hey, how many times is the user clicking on hide or report something? If that is going up, that essentially means that the platform is not doing a good job at recommending good content to the user. So there are a lot of metrics. Uh, you know, you, as I said, you look at all these metrics in totality. You don't look at one metric in isolation.
0: Okay. Yeah. I love that. Praveen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, sharing all of your insights. This has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, to the listener, thank you so much for tuning in to the AI chat podcast. Um, Praveen, if people are interested in getting in contact with you, what's the best way for them to do that? Uh, they could reach out to me on LinkedIn. Uh, okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, again, thanks so much for coming on to the listener. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. Make sure to rate us wherever you get your podcasts,
1: and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day.